long days and pleasant nights. Welcome back to Let's Get Weirding. I'm Bo North. And I'm Megan Sunday. On this show, we're usually discussing Frank Herbert's Dune series chapter by chapter, but by now you know the drill. This is part two of our discussion of Stephen King's Wizard in Glass. Megan's favorite book. (laughs) 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 And as promised, joining us today are our friends from the podcast, Two Guys to the Dark Tower Came, Jay Russo and Sean McGurr. Welcome back, guys. Yay, thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks. Happy I'm glad we here. didn't embarrass ourselves so much that you didn't invite us back for the Dark Tower <laughs> <stuff>, so. <laughs> Not at all, not at all. That was a good episode. <laughs> no, we wanted to have you guys on because I think when we did our uh, episode on Doom Messiah, like we were in between the Wastelands and this one. So yep. I knew this is a bigger book and I wanted to split it into two episodes because it's really like it's too much story for one episode. Yeah. So <laughs> it, it totally worked out that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, we actually did nine episodes on this book when we covered it on our podcast. Oh, my. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it is a lot of book. Yeah, yeah. it is. <laughs> it's got a lot of moving parts. But they all come together pretty well. That's true. No, it does. But I was going to oh, say, no matter so what Megan says. Hey. <laughs> it, it's funny because, uh, you know, the the first part, which you guys discussed on your last episode, and was a really great episode. I, I thought you and your guest did a great job of discussing part one. Oh, thank you. There, You know, that first part is really the end of book three. There's like, what, 80 pages mm-hmm. on Blaine, which is really yeah. sort of the end of Blaine. And we actually read a review about this book that actually stated that they consider this a novel tucked into a novella because really, mm-hmm. you know, there's what, mm-hmm. 350, 400 pages right in the middle. And it's in between like, oh, a little bit of Blaine and a little bit of Wizard of Oz at the end. And then you've got the yeah. the main story. <laughs> so it, I, I like that that thinking, the no, novel within the novella. Yeah, it is. And it, it's I always have loved these sort of Thousand and One Nights story structures where you have someone telling a story and then you're kind of in that story and that's really the story but it's being framed by a completely different narrative so Mm -hmm. it's like I said it's it seems like it's easy to write this off as just a simple like oh this is a a flashback coming of age story I I feel like it's a lot more than that it's a lot more complicated and, and layered than that yes I thought you were going to say recap episode where they just use clips from old seasons to fill <laughs> up the, the, the current season. Oh, it's I've certainly old, never done that. <laughs> old old clips of, you know, all the times your your friend got laid and he's telling mm-hmm. you all about it. <laughs> and it's fun around the campfire. Sure. Sure, it's there. it's fun to hear <laughs> someone tell a 12 year old boy about a witch feeling up a young a teenage girl <laughs> poor jake is probably just like i don't know what he's doing he's like i'm gonna look over there kill me again roland yeah this story needs nothing for me no, thank you you know i i know there are other worlds than these and i don't want to hear the story in any of them <laughs> like oh this is uncomfortable for me <laughs> so uh because i asked our last guest will gonzalez uh sort of where wizard and glass ranks for them i thought i'd i'd ask you guys as well like where does this fall for you on the sort of the whole spectrum of of the dark tower um uh, this is jay i would rank it 
my fourth favorite of the Dark Tower books. Mm -hmm. And that's still really high. Um, yeah. You know, or I should say that's to say I really like this book. But my my favorite book is still the, the Gunslinger. And then Drawing of the Three. And then Wind Through the Keyhole, I think, is a lot like this book. But done a little bit better. And mm -hmm. then this book, Wizard and Glass, is number four on my list. Mm -hmm. I think Wind Through the Keyhole is... I mean, for those that have read the Dark Tower series and you haven't read that one, I really highly recommend it. Just because it's it's such an interesting and well-done sort of um, sidestep back into mm -hmm. this world. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, this is Sean. It's third for me of the Dark Tower books. Mm -hmm. uh, I have Drawing of the Three as number one. And then I have went through the keyhole and then uh, this book. And again, I agree with what you're saying. Just the framing story of went through the keyhole and how it's sort of a standalone story, but it really adds to the overall narrative. Uh, and it's just very well written and mm -hmm. and good. Uh, I think this book has a little bit of problems at the end, which I'm sure we'll get to that sort of. Oh, does, oh yes. <laughs> doesn't make it. But, but overall, I like it. And I, I like the fact that this book you know, unlike Jay, I came to this fresh for the podcast, th these books, and I knew of some of the like cosplay type stuff, like the super fan, the mm. long days, pleasant nights and sigh and just sort of the, the language and the talking and all of that really seems to stem from this book, the middle part. Yeah. Um, and it just sort of grabs, I think, the super fans is like this is this is what Roland is and what he represents. And so when. I got to this. I'm like, oh, this is where it's all coming from because you don't get that in the first books as much, uh, or, or hardly at all. And so I, I think that there's a change here. Yeah, I think it's such a wonderfully detailed snapshot of Roland's world, and it's not even, it's not even really Roland's world because he's in a a part of the world that he doesn't really know. But it's still just like when he was, you know, when this whole system you know when we had all these lords and ladies and before the world had moved on as they mm -hmm. say you know we had this class structure and all these like towns and baronies and things like that and it's fascinating and it's a really detailed and like beautifully constructed world i'm just not sure that it does feel like to megan's point it does feel like it kind of pulls you out of the dark tower narrative for most yeah. of the book. Mm -hmm. So it, it feels like a sidestep. And, and maybe this would have worked better had he released, you know, all of the Roland backstory, like as a separate book after everything else. Or just, you know, as a separate book. But I mean, it is a it's a really beautiful story and it's really well written. And just like it feels like such a it's such a pause in the middle mm. of the series. Yeah, and I think for me, it's especially compounded by the fact that it's also literally a pause when you know things, like they're on the road, and they're approaching something, and everyone's thinking, well, where are we, and what are we approaching, and when are we going to get there? And in the middle of that, Roland's like, you know what, let's tell, let me tell you a really long story. <laughs> and it's like, but oh, you, really? You know, Megan, though, you just made me think of this, like that is so Roland. <laughs> like, it very see, much is, yes. yes in yes. this, like, because in this story, like, he keeps doing that to Cuthbert and Ellen. Like, he keeps, yeah. <laughs> every time they're just like, uh, hey, Roland, I think something is up. 
and I want to know more about it. He's like, hey, look over there. <laughs> it's so different I promise we'll... Wolf... Yeah, I promise we'll send pigeons tomorrow. It's so different from how Roland is later on where he's constantly doing that finger motion of let's go, let's go, let's go. And here mm-hmm. he's like pausing it out and perhaps that's just a change in him over time. I don't know. I wonder what the experience would be if if you had never read any of the books and you started, you got to book four. And as soon as Roland started the Once Upon a Time in Magus part of it, <laughs> you just skipped to the all right and that's what happened in magus and then read on from there like like would it just feel like you just didn't like nothing happened at all like like this book didn't need to exist um i mean i'm sorry i'm i'm just gonna jump in and say that i don't know that it how much it would have affected the story mm-hmm. honestly having not having <laughs> Not knowing any of this stuff about Roland and Susan and his friends, I would say, like, the whole dynamic with his original quartet is probably the most valuable piece of, like, thing that we get Mm -hmm. from this book. Um, And sort of, you know, I know it's setting up the whole, like, wizard's rainbow thing, which we get into later, but... That's true, that's true. Yeah. But I don't know how much, like, story-wise, how much of an impact it has on the dark tower itself it's just more about roland uh, you know as like who he is and his experiences yeah although and i'm sure we'll talk about this is that it really is the the story of it's set up as the story of him and susan falling in love and and how you know it starts off like romeo and juliet but ends in tragedy and then <laughs> it <laughs> It's really not that story. It's it's the story about how he becomes obsessed with the tower through mm, yeah. through the pink grapefruit and mm-hmm. how he's willing to sacrifice Susan so that he can pursue the tower because the sequence of events is that he falls into the into the grapefruit and sees the tower and realizes, hey, we have to do this, and then Susan dies. So it's almost like yeah. that, that that's the decision that's made. And then so it's sort of stunning that he wants to tell this story to Jake and to Eddie and to Susanna because he's like, hey, I'm willing to throw my friends and family overboard for the tower. Hey, are you ready to go on this quest with me? Yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> I interrupted you. Sorry. No, um, it's fine. <laughs> I, I think that's a good point and is especially infuriating the, considering <laughs> that um, chain of events. So let's let's talk about it. So where we left off was uh, Roland and Susan, you know, consummating their their young love. And Susan, under the spell of Rhea, like, you know, going to the stream, finding a rock and slicing her, cutting her hair. Yeah. Not all of it, because Roland, you know, Roland is able to stop her because he's the best at everything. But uh, <laughs> except for saving girlfriends, I guess. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, he tries. <laughs> He does. Um, But I thought that this in particular was a good place to start because we kind of get, I love anything that's sort of Roland using the tricks he learned in in the classroom, as it were, like (laughs) his training as a young gunslinger. To me, that stuff is fascinating. I love in, in the gunslinger, I love the everything to do with the fight with Court, the Raven, like... You know, all of that to me, like, I want, I would love more of that, honestly. Yeah. Agreed. 
Yeah. So he gets to hypnotize Susan and figure out, like, trying to figure out what happened, why she wanted to do that. And, you know, I think at the time they're just like, oh, that pranking witch. (laughs) Not really knowing the full extent of of what she's up to. Right. Yeah, that... And it's it's interesting because I think that that's so... The first time I read it, I remember being a little not disappointed i mean it's not as if i wanted her to like go and you know cut her wrists or anything Mm -hmm. but i definitely was not expecting it to just be that so afterwards i was like oh no i hope he gets there because she's gonna kill herself or so she's gonna cut off yeah huh good i mean i'm glad that roland stopped that because i mean it's not something she wants to do and and everything but also like okay yeah it did seem to (laughs) imply something a little more oh sorry it did seem to imply something more sinister like she was going to uh, lose her virginity and then pick up the nearest weapon and kill the man she was in bed with, right? So it's like, I'll get Mayor Thor, yeah. not I'll take my revenge on this pretty girl, right? Um, y- yeah. I mean, not that I want her to try to kill Roland, but I mean, Thorin would have deserved it. <laughs> that would have been pretty good. I, I would have been fine with that. Uh, Yeah, I think it's I don't know, and, and this whole thing with them sort of like Oh, you know, it's a woman, uh, you know, it's just women's jealousy attacking another woman's vanity because their hair is their vanity. <laughs> I don't know. It just seems like mm, maybe you should have consulted a woman before writing this because uh, I don't think you understand how hard we play. <laughs> yeah, just that part. I don't. It's like Rhea could have come up with something a little better. But she was, you know, it was a last minute kind of thing. She was pissed yeah. off. It was on the fly, sure. You know, she wasn't <laughs> thinking. She does. It wasn't like later when she writes that letter. It's basically like, your niece has the sex. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no she good. does. She she sends a letter to Cordelia, causing Cordelia to absolutely lose her mind. And we don't have to talk about this in any linear fashion. If you guys just want to jump in with anything, like. Because I found the letter because we were talking before we started about what the letter said, Mm -hmm. and I found it. So I was just, I was thinking about it. Because, of course, we get it in handwriting as well, because we have to see (laughs) that Rhea, not great at writing. Right. (laughs) Pure no more. I have have in my notes that it's weird how this book passes the Bechdel test, because it's very uncomfortable conversations between the women (laughs) in this book. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> might be the only book that passes the Bechdel test, pass, but when it does, yeah. it's not very well. Yeah, I'm not sure because they're still talking about, well, I guess they're talking about a girl in context of a man. Yeah. <laughs> I'll allow it. I'll allow it. Yeah, no it. matter what they're talking about, it's terrible. It's not great. Yeah. It's, and then, ugh. so I will, I want to talk about something in this book that I found absolutely hilarious and it might be mean of me to find this funny but cordelia's little crush on jonas to me is hilarious and pathetic very much so oh my god it's it's so uncomfortable to read because she's just not oh she's trying so hard and he's not not having it not at all like oh I, I really don't understand how she she seems so cunning when it comes to her own niece and even like you know you could also say her own brother but like when it comes to this she's just as vapid as any you know teenage girl might be well I mean you know 
there's only so many guys in this world. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. Like, at a certain point, you're going, oh, I, I'm either related to or every other man in this town is a mutant or is Or terrible. very old. <laughs> so, He's hey. He's the most impressive <laughs> yeah. now. bachelor, right? Yeah, really. I mean, honestly. I suppose so. <laughs> I mean, ugh. But yeah, no, it's so uncomfortable. And I mean, it's, I think it's good that it's uncomfortable because if she was good at this at all, it wouldn't be good to character. Like it wouldn't right. be true right. to her character, but oh, doesn't mean I want to have to read about it. <laughs> <laughs> it you do feel kind of, it's like, okay, I, I know this is probably going to go over a lot of people's heads, but I just watched uh, season four of The Crown to review. And it's very much like Margaret Thatcher showing up to go hunting and like, her bright blue London fog overcoat and sensible pumps. Like, it's just like you just want to sink through the floor when you see it. <laughs> you just, Cordelia's little, her little fantasies, her little daydreams about Jonas, like, just, oh, they make my skin crawl. Because <laughs> he's so gross. He is. That's the thing, is he's not ever even described in any way that seems appealing. Like you're Mm-mm. never like, oh hey, but he's 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 really handsome, or he's this. It's just like Ugh. they say he has pretty hair. His hair is pretty. Oh, good for him. Yeah. <laughs> so does Susan. I mean, like, <laughs> that's it's yeah. It's just like oh really, Cordelia. That's oh, that's all you got, I guess. Oh honey. Oh. <laughs> like great. I, I'm actually looking at the picture on the Dark Tower wiki right now, and I'm just like, no. Nah. Yeah, that's not pretty hair in that picture. <laughs> no, it's really not. Like, I've seen better hair. <laughs> yeah, uh, and she takes it really hard when Jonas takes up with Coral Thorin, who runs mm-hmm. the the saloon. Um, and apparently, like, neither one of them are what you would call attractive people, but they get on quite well in the physical sense so i mean that's probably part of it because let's be honest i feel Mm -hmm. like coral is down for whatever and i don't i think cordelia probably has a lot of Mm hang-ups and i think jonas does not he's probably who knows what he's into let's just you know assume it's weird (laughs) and coral is just like yeah all right (laughs) (laughs) whatever meanwhile cordelia is just like i don't know yeah. I'm going to have a little daydream about maybe we'll kiss or something. <laughs> so you guys had mentioned the the interlude in the middle of this book. So let's talk about that for a minute because we do take a break with Roland sort of answering questions. And this was actually something that came up in part one was, you know, how does Roland know all of that stuff? And literally like the next chapter, Eddie says, Roland, how do you know all this? <laughs> and then he tries to get out of it he, right he says you're asking the wrong question eddie and i'm yeah. like no i think eddie is asking the right question that's the one you want to know how it's does how do you answer know roland <laughs> stop hedging oh dude <laughs> oh my but god I'm a... having a conversation with this guy right like no you're not gonna converse you're just going to listen to me either not talk for a long time or talk for a long time only two options <laughs> there is no in between and, right. and so they they imply that this is taking place outside of time right like this is yeah. another discussion like roland had with the with dark walter man. yeah walter yeah. on the golgotha where 
we're sort of outside of time and have you noticed you're not hungry and you don't need to go to the bathroom and how how long is this night and yeah mm-hmm. so that's a nice little callback um and i guess it's king trying to answer the questions that you guys brought up just not as well as we'd like them to <laughs> well i do <laughs> love that it's sort of a it, it it is sort of a nice representation of what it feels like to get caught up in a story like what it feels like to just get swept up in in something that like a really good story that you're reading and you don't want to get up and and make dinner you don't want to put your book down to go to the bathroom you don't want to do any of that stuff and i felt like that was a nice like maybe him dovetailing those two things together like a, I'm a great storyteller. B, this is a callback. Yes. And <laughs> I think that's a good point, Bo, because this is really the book that is sort of the fulcrum of King moving towards that metafictional angle. Mm-hmm. Um, and <clears throat> I, I had proposed in our show that almost the entire series becomes about storytelling to some extent. Yeah. Um, and you could see it a lot in this book, obviously, where he's playing with it. Uh, but then, you know, the wind through the keyhole is definitely all about that. And then five, six and seven are, are totally about, you know, how storytelling really can build worlds and how how important creativity is. And uh, I know King hates and despises the idea of metafiction, but he's obviously <laughs> playing in it um, yeah. just to a lighter with a lighter touch here. More of the, more of the Arabian Nights than the postmodern folks who are doing it in the 20th century yeah i will say Mm. i this is not king related per se but i did just watch the uh series finale of supernatural and that is like the entire like arc of the last half of the series is Mm. that you know storytelling is sort of like the arc of these seasons like it's all about getting caught up and sometimes trapped in a story Yeah, so I think that interlude does it nicely, sort of bringing that Mm -hmm. to the forefront and asking the questions that that we might have. I will say that um, it's shortly after the interlude, there's this weird um, narrative intrusion where, you know, Roland's telling the story, but it's not like I did this, I did that. It's it's third person. But Mm -hmm. then at one point, there's a like a little aside where Eddie chimes in with a stupid joke. Yeah. Yeah. And it sort of threw me because I'm like, oh, yeah, like they're listening to this story. And I was just wondering, is like Eddie telling stupid jokes throughout Roland's, you know, story? Like, is he chiming in with like bits and pieces here? Like he's on Mystery Science Theater where, hey, why'd you do that, Roland? Why'd you do that? Or is Roland just like, shut up, Eddie, and let me tell my story? (laughs) I mean, probably, at least in his head. (laughs) I mean, I think the issue for me is also in the interlude. I don't know that characters in a story would react to hearing a story the same way that we readers do. Like mm-hmm. Susan, like Susanna's reaction is so just like, oh my God, keep telling your romantic story, Roland. Like, I got to hear this story. <laughs> and it's like, I don't know. You know, I, it's going to end badly. <laughs> one, you know, it's going to end badly. And two, I just, I don't know how much real people necessarily want to hear the details of someone else's like romance Mm. i don't know it's like i'm trying to picture even some of my dearest friends if they were like let me tell you the story of when i knew i loved my husband and i'd be like okay (laughs) weird but okay (laughs) yeah you know it's like 
I understand that, you know, she wants to know what's, what's going to happen. She wants to, but the, the fact that she's sort of treating it like, oh my gosh, this, this story of your one true love, this is, it's like, okay, what are you I making her react like... that way? Because she's a woman? Are you acting no. like, oh, I kind of feel like Susanna has always, Susanna in particular, has always had a certain fascination with Roland. I'm Mm -hmm. not going to say like, you know, nothing like romantic or anything, but she's always, she's the one that is always the most interested in his, you know, backstory, any kind of Mm -hmm. story he starts to tell or any offhanded comment about, I learned this from court or whatever. It always seems like Susanna is the one that sort of latches onto those things. So I think that in a way it's like her learning more about him is really the draw for her. Okay. That's fair. No, I can, I can see that because you're right because yeah, Jake wants to hear a lot of it because you know, it's a Western. <laughs> it's a Western. He wants to know about, you know, the training and whatnot because he kind of wants to be that way too. And like mm-hmm. Eddie, I don't even know what Eddie wants half the time. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. Uh, <laughs> I love him, but what's he do? What's his motivation? Uh, so yeah, no, I think that's, that is a good point. She, she's the one, she likes the lore, you know, she mm-hmm. wants to know all of, you know, she, if were she had a different world, she'd probably like read a lot of fan fiction. Yeah. I feel like also too, it, it's Susanna being practical because she out of everyone in that group is the most like Roland. Like she knows what it's like to be of two minds. <laughs> like literally she mm-hmm. they've had the mo- I feel like they are the most like each other and they have like the most understanding between each other and I mean this is just how I see it and she wants to know what she's up against honestly because they know that Roland had a cotet before they know that he traveled with other gunslingers once upon a time and mm-hmm. You know, obviously <laughs> things didn't work out for everyone else. And so they want to know, like, to me, it seems like, okay, I need to know what happened to them so I can be prepared for it to happen to me. Yeah, because she's, she's always been the one, I mean, I, I mentioned this in the part one, you know, she's always been the one who has first noticed, like, well, the similarities in the names. And mm-hmm. I kind of, you know, I poked fun at it, but she's also the one who's realized that when he talks about, when he has talked about his previous quartet, that there are, you know, elements of their personalities that correspond with the current one. Mm-hmm. You know, she's always been the one who's been sort of like, oh, so you had another friend who was always cracking jokes. Oh, you mm-hmm. had another friend who kind of had psychic powers, you know? So mm-hmm. yeah, I can see she's, I mean, let's be honest. Susanna is the brains of this entire operation. <laughs> That's totally true. I, mean, like, <laughs> I don't think, anybody would, like, I don't I think mean, anybody would really mind sitting around the campfire and hearing this tale. I get, I guess that it could become a little uncomfortable at times because they, it's a personal thing, but think of like, sitting around the campfire and hearing somebody tell the the tale of you know the odyssey or something like that we want to hear it and the fact that we're Mm. reading this book Mm -hmm. we human beings love stories we want to hear this stuff and if you think about who roland is and the fact that he almost never shares this type of information if anybody around that campfire is uncomfortable everyone else is going to be like shut up shut up let him talk he's he's finally telling (laughs) us something let him go um yeah Mm-hmm. And, you know, eh, here and there, he might be getting a little bit specific about things, like when he's, you know, <laughs> engaged in, in sex with Susan, with Susan or whatever. But, you know, um, the rest of it, I think 
he needs to get this off his chest. And I can only mm -hmm. imagine, you know, if Roland has the skills to tell a story this eloquently, you know, as, as though Stephen King were writing the words for him, uh, I would I would happily sit around <laughs> and hear that story for, you know, this endless night, too. So, uh. True. No, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. It's not like they're get, they get HBO. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I will say that the fact that Roland slash King continue, and it's this is mostly King, I think it's something he does a lot, is undercuts the story because he mm. says stuff like, oh, within a year, not only would Roland, but Cuthbert and Elaine would also be smoking as well. So we mm -hmm. know that this is not the end of their story mm -hmm. um, or, or, you know, individual. So like, if they're there to like learn more about like, well, what did happen to Cuthbert and Elaine? They're not going to get it from this story. Um, right. So there's got to be some other reason that Roland's telling it to them. Um, I don't know if they're figuring it out and trying to do that. Like, why, why is, why is Roland telling us this story? Is it just because, oh, it's uh, interesting and it's a way to pass the night? Or is he trying to impart some sort of lesson on us? And that lesson being, you know, what are you willing to do to do, to go for the tower? Because this is what I'm willing to do. Are you still in or not? Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is a story of, you know, the limits of how, how far he's willing to go to get to get to this. And, you know, to me, like, you can see this this tale in a lot of ways. You can see it as a Western, an adventure story. Uh, you know, you can see it as a romance. You can see it as... But to me, that is chilling. Like, the fact that he is willing to let someone he loves so much die in such a horrible way oh my god <laughs> is it's really like turns my blood cold honestly and i don't think that roland's a monster because of it but it is you know he they always talk about how like he has this relentless will and mm. that is in and of itself kind of terrifying to be up against something like that because you know you can't win yeah and also i mean because I think given that this is, you know, a series, you know, a saga, I think a lot of times you would expect that by the fourth book, the main character would start to soften up a little, mm. you know, like, oh, you know, he's got this new content and they're, oh, they're all his friends and like his family now. So I do think that in a lot of books, you would get a point where it's like, oh, everything's starting to work together and they're all going to go on their adventure. And this is, yeah, sort of a reminder of, yeah, that doesn't matter. <laughs> like it does but also it won't stop him if there's something that has to happen because you know and i think that that becomes important later because i do think that that as we i think we've discussed previously is something that does have to change ultimately mm. by the very end for roland but mm. as of right now that yeah i do think that you can say that this is sort of his his warning of by the way i have always been like this <laughs> i was 14 years old the time this story is taking place i am currently I'm hundred years old yeah. Yeah, yeah so uh by the way this is me well i think that uh, uh there there's an element of roland that is in and of itself romance that makes him special Mm. Um, mm -hmm. and I think it's his, it, it's his most important strength. We know about how, how, you know, good of a killer he is and, and, and things like that, but there's something about the romance that, um, he can rise above things like truth 
end reality even when they're not the same thing for him because like the the romance is sort of like making an alloy out of the steel that that he was born with that um you know it like adding that extra element makes a stronger material and i think that it's the romance in in this particular gunslinger that makes him this you know perfect machine of pursuit of the tower that he will never give up but it's also what makes him successful and um and he's just mm -hmm. that much stronger mm -hmm. he has that a little bit of extra flexibility like he won't snap like a you know a, a, that steel that's too hard but he won't bend too easily either he has just the right alloy with that romance yeah i mean that's a good point i mean somebody that it would take someone that is has a deeply like i think in this book they even say you know his deeply romantic nature and it would take someone with a deeply romantic nature to keep pursuing this you know to have this level of obsession mm -hmm. yeah he has to think that there is a purpose even if he is willing to sacrifice virtually everything uh in mm -hmm to attain this purpose. And I think we also, I mean, I will say that this backstory does have to happen in order to, well, obviously not, as I said, like soften him up at all, but it does humanize him because mm -hmm. it's the same way that all of the sequences with him in, you know, you know, our world as it were, are all sort of written in this. He doesn't know what a hot dog is and he doesn't know <laughs> what mayonnaise is kind of way, because if not, there'd be no reason to care about this character and i mean god knows i love an anti-hero but you have to have some part that tells you that this isn't just a machine and it's part mm. of the reason that i've never entirely liked and i think this is in the original version of the gunslinger the part where the cop watches the terminator and is like mm. oh that's like him it's like no that's that's a machine like roland is not a machine yeah um but you know i i do think that that makes it important because I, I I love a tragic backstory. I love things that humanize yes. characters. But yeah, I think my, my issue with this book has just always been that I want to know what's going on on this journey that the current characters are on. I'm going to give a caveat. I love a tragic backstory as long as it's not flags. Girl, no. <laughs> we'll get to that later <laughs> this is that and then there's also this because this is the point in these the series where one of my favorite characters kind of gets shot to shit and oh we can talk about it if you want i mean <sighs> um so roland flag shows up at the end of this book yeah roland flag is to be randall flag these yeah. r's i was uh <laughs> And you find out at this point that he is Walter and he is Martin and he is like everyone ever in the history of every <laughs> King book, apparently. He is literally the only villain. Um, there have lots have been written. I've read things, you know, saying that he's the villain in, you know, Children of the Corn as well. Like it's he's everywhere. <laughs> so like, great, fine. OK, you know, I can take that to a certain extent. But not when this is all for later books as well, but he just 
does not live up to his potential, as it were. Not the potential particularly that we see in The Stand, which is Mm -hmm. just 100% potential, even when he is defeated. Yeah. So... It's just like, oh, good. I was so excited. I mean, the first time I read this book, I was like, hey, awesome. It's Randall Flagg. I love Randall Flagg. It's stupid, but I do. Uh, like, <laughs> oh, no. What's happening? <laughs> it's all gone so wrong. Yeah. For, for, for all the bad guys in this book, right, Megan? Like, it's not just Randall Flagg that yeah. you know, he sort of dismissed, but the TikTok man who we learned gets away in the wasteland. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they Oi pulls back the curtain and, oh, it's it's the TikTok man and he had been set up in the wasteland to be, you know, almost as fast as Roland. And, mm-hmm. and, and then he's just some summarily dismissed very yep. quickly. Yeah. And the big coffin hunters too. Like we had talked about in our podcast about how, oh, there's three big coffin hunters. There's the three members of the quartet. There's going to be a big shootout between all of them. And, you know, to, to Roland's credit, they come up with this cool plan and they're able to pick them off fairly easily and dismiss them. But it, there wasn't this sort of like epic, Mm-hmm. Mexican standoff between the six of them that I was expecting. So yeah. it, it's just King again, building up these characters and you're right. Flag is the most suspect here uh, and then <laughs> undercutting them. It's just disappointing. Yeah. Although I will say, Oh, go ahead, well, Megan. Well, no, only because even I, and I say this, even knowing that, you know, obviously at the end of the stand, he is defeated, but it's not, He's defeated because of the abilities of the heroes, not mm-hmm. necessarily entirely his own failings, which I think yeah. is an important difference when you write a villain. You know, if a villain is defeated because they are sloppy or stupid or arrogant or whatever, then there are, is sometimes this level of, well, all right, well, then was it ever really a challenge? You know, we, mm-hmm. we, do, we just have to wait for this person to screw up. But when it's clearly because of the abilities of the people that are up against them, it's like, well, all right, awesome. Like, this is this is good. And I know, you know, people are there's going to be someone who's like, but hand of God. And it's like, yeah, but that's <laughs> let's step aside from that. Yeah. But I don't know. I... the fact that I, 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 and I still I don't think the whole hand of God thing negates uh, the work that any of the characters in that circumstance do at all. And uh, no, but we're not talking about the stand, unfortunately. <laughs> So, just this idea that Flag is just now kind of this guy? <laughs> I don't know. It's just, it's sort I of think disappointing. That Flag's behavior and, uh, I guess, conclusion in, in this book is pretty consistent with the way that he's been, um, with, the, with what has happened with his character in other books, like The Stand, like Eyes of the Dragon. It does come down to mm. a little bit of his own hubris a little bit of his own failings that Mm -hmm. allow him to put himself in a position where he can be easily dispatched and i think there's also something that is special about roland right roland is the last Mm. scion of uh, arthur eld right and his his guns are made from the metal of excalibur and all this this stuff so there's something about how like anybody else who shoots a gun at flag probably won't do any damage to him but if roland were to actually point Mm -hmm. his gun at him and pull the trigger flags in trouble so for some reason flag didn't think of that or flag didn't think what i better protect this glass (laughs) ball that could be shattered um (laughs) and you know there are these little details that seem like well he's a fool right 
but I think it's more of that that consistency in his uh, he I think he thinks too much of himself and Mm-hmm. I've always I've always seen Flag as sort of a as a, a, a yeah, like meddler, a Loki like right? figure, you know mm-hmm. he he's a little more evil than Loki. I'll say that like he's less mischief and more mayhem, but he he is sort of this impish character, and here incredibly impish. Yeah, <laughs> he's totally. just like hopping around and <laughs> you know Green Goblining all over this place and it's very (laughs) silly um but yeah i mean and especially like i i think jay you make a really good point with that because it does feel like you know flag is sort of the the corresponding of the other side to roland sort of like they could Mm -hmm. it really could have worked out that way and instead, and I'm not going to get too much into what happens in book seven, but I mean, it Ugh. doesn't really go anywhere. Exactly. And it's very disappointing. <laughs> Just knowing like where this is heading is <laughs> really a bummer because it was yeah. such a great opportunity. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, that, that's a good point about him just having, you know, all this hubris and sort of mm-hmm. I'm the best villain ever in a very Loki-like way. Well, to be fair, I mean, I've thought for for years, you know, to step back into the stand for a second. I mean, the fact that at no point was he like, maybe I shouldn't let Nadine on the balcony. Yeah. <laughs> this seems like a thing yeah. that I should the maybe not do. The hotel itself shit. doesn't let you open the windows <laughs> Oops. for a reason. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Especially in That whole scene is always to me, I mean, it's such a like, oh, you know, like she, she's making her decision, but it's also just like, dude, why would you? Oh, okay. <laughs> Like, oh boy, yeah, sir. <laughs> but I and I think that uh, we mentioned this a little in part one, but it is also disappointing. I would say thematically to the series as a whole that uh, Martin and Walter and everyone are all the same person. It's a yeah. little like okay, great. Yeah, they rev- they kind of reveal that in this book that mm-hmm. Martin and Walter are one and the same, and it's. It is a little bit of a uh, okay. Yeah, I I I think that there could have been more done with that, only because there would be no reason for it to continue. Because we got we got everything out of Walter that we needed, you know, early early on, and so yeah. there's no reason that you have to then say, oh well, surprise. I mean, it's been, I mean, he comes back in this one in the flashback, which is totally fine because that's the same, you know, it's the right time period for that. But just this idea that he is. Like, oh, but surprise, he didn't die. And surprise, <laughs> this didn't happen. And like, oh, okay. Yeah. I guess. It does diminish that, that palaver mm-hmm. at the end of Gunslinger a bit. Yeah, and it... Um, or it's not so bad because if they're all the same villain, because there's another villain that's one level up that <laughs> is going to just, you know, totally change what happens later yes. and really be the the it's enemy so that awesome needs to and so amazing and I, go, right? I mean we can't <laughs> it's gonna be so awesome okay i i i will say this i would never want to write a saga like this because ultimately oh, no. you are going to have this moment i mean and i know that Bo, you're not a fan of 
you know, A Song of Ice and Fire. But at this point, I don't know if I'd write that last book either. I'd just be like, you know what, guys? Suck it. I don't. Like, like the the books, whatever. <laughs> the books are fine. I, yeah. I'm i just not, like, a super fan, I would say. No, I know. I, I know. I read through the first three, and I was like, I'm good. <laughs> and then, no, like. No, that's fine. And I know you don't like the show at all. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect place uh, to stop. I yeah, do not like the show either, so it's fine. And, and and for this one, it you know he wrote the Gunslinger when he was what nineteen. Yeah, he and was very he, young. He's writing this one almost thirty. You know, I think it might be thirty years later. And mm-hmm. what within a year of this book coming out is when he has his accident, and then mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. sort of changes everything for the last half. So it, we we commented that each of these books, it's it, they're all written by Stephen King, but they're all written by a different Stephen King. No, yeah. That at a different was... at a different point in his life yeah. and he never I never you never get the sense that he really had it all planned out. Um even a little bit. Like like sort of knowing what the end was. I I, I just never got that sense that it does feel like there's four four books and then 5 6 7 which are are sort of of a, a piece, but there's mm-hmm. such different books entirely written by such different people that it's hard to say Oh well, I, I'm sort of left with what this guy gave me, mm-hmm. and this this guy is yourself. But you know, it's this guy. <laughs> it's yourself ten years earlier, and you're like, oh, what did that oh, yeah. guy do? He really screwed me over, didn't he? <laughs> oh, yeah. for sure. That's yeah. Like the last three Star Wars movies. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, and that's. I think everyone has has something of that. I mean, there's stuff that I've written that I go back and read it and I think, well, I would not write it like that now. And if I tried to, people would say, well, that's weird. Like, why does that, why do you sound different? Like, well, because I'm not, you know, 25, like, you know, and yeah. And, and I think that that like the later Star Wars movies, it happens. I think a lot with anytime people are like, let's revive X, Y, Z show. It's like, not everything can come back. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say that I would have wanted these books to end because, oh my God, like what no. that would have been, sweet God. But also, <laughs> yeah, it's, these are different, it's almost, yeah, different people, a different focus on what's important and what you want to put into a book and what are the themes that are mm-hmm. the most meaningful and what should the characters do and, and should I feel there like... be spider babies. Um... Yeah. <laughs> this book is such an outlier in that sense because it is not anything like the first three books and it's really not anything like the last three books either like Mm -hmm. it it's just really the most different out of all of them i feel like maybe the gunslinger might be the most different out of all of them but i feel like this one story-wise narrative-wise like this one is and just the way that it's written Mm -hmm. it it is like like phil said in our in part one like you know it is such a turning point for King both in this story and in his own writing. Yeah. Like, and everything he wrote after this book, you know, has sort of a different feel. It has a different flavor. It has a different, you know, it just reads different. It hits different than everything that came before it. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah. And I mean, and, and the series as a whole is very like that because like to use my my husband as an example he does not if you asked him if he liked stephen king books he would say no (laughs) except for the dark tower yeah and it's interesting since you know in the past i have tried to be like you know the stand (laughs) (laughs) uh it hasn't worked uh yet to yet to work probably not the best 
He'd like the talisman. <laughs> not not the best, probably, pitch for the year of our Lord 2020. No. no. <laughs> uh, so we'll move on from that in my household. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's so... It's such an interesting thing in and of itself. And then, yeah, this one in the center. And I really, I do wish, hearing all of you talk about this book, I wish I liked it more. <laughs> you know, and that's I just, fine. It's like, uh. sometimes I get very surprised by things. And I think, you know, for so long, I didn't let myself read this or watch this or do whatever because I had a mm. certain mindset about it. But I just... You, you know, you two and, and Bo and Phil and people are saying such lovely things about this book. And I'm like, mm hmm, mm hmm. Okay. <laughs> no, it's totally fine. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you, there's, no, there's no law that says you have to like this book. Are you I sure? mean, there's... I'm going to ask Stephen King on, on Twitter and he's going to oh, say, Oh, don't hey, ask him. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's the no, wrong no. person to no. ask. No, no. Um, <laughs> I do kind of want to touch on some of the the points in this book that I found the most satisfying. Number one of those, absolutely amazing, the fight, the the shootout, I guess you could say, in Eyebolt Canyon yes. is just a dazzling piece of work. Like, yeah. that to me is such an incredible showdown. It's mm -hmm. so well written. And like writing action and writing fights and battles and things like that, it's hard. Oh, yeah. It's mm -hmm. really hard. So, like, the the fact that he's able to weave this incredible, like, terrifying shootout is so good. It, it is just such a good, you know, sort of um, just desserts to all mm -hmm. the certain parties <laughs> that are in there. Yes. It also has my favorite moment of... Cuthbert taking people out with his slingshot. Oh, yep, the best. And, and and I figure if Roland's the gunslinger, does that make Cuthbert the sling slinger? <laughs> I think so. I'll go yeah, with that. I think he'd agree as well. <laughs> I Andy brought could, his bird skull. Could we just get a whole book about Cuthbert? I would love, I love that so much. So much. <laughs> yeah. Um, second, Although he is probably a character that if you had a whole book about him, you'd be like, okay. I'm tired of you. <laughs> Sir. Sir. Yeah. I um, also want to point out that when he finally figures out who Jonas is, or rather what Jonas is, that Jonas is a failed gunslinger. Um, and, you know, just sort of calling him maggot and things mm -hmm. like that. I found incredibly satisfying. Yeah. I can you imagine going You just through, don't like, get Roland getting so sassy, first of all. Like, it's true. He's lost some of that in his old age, uh, sadly. Yeah. It comes out every so often, but mm -hmm. uh, it's that and just the idea of how infuriating it must be to hear this 14-year-old who has accomplished something that you could not, mm -hmm. like, insulting you consistently. And you're just like, oh. <laughs> like that's good like it's it's real good it um, is it's really and then to to say it in front of all of these people mm -hmm. who have come to like have this sort of wary species of awe around you you know you've sort of built yourself up as this big badass and to have this teenager just roast <laughs> you teenagers are so mean <laughs> My God, they are like 
the you know we were joking even a bit in for one about this like you know this clutch of teens who just shows up and, and it's like oh hello but that's terrifying i'm like oh no <laughs> teenage boys don't be mean they're so mean <laughs> they're gonna be mean they don't always smell great <laughs> I, like teens ah youth yeah Especially, especially satisfying knowing that Jonas killed a bunch of pigeons and cut off a dog's tail for no reason. Just because, yeah. Yeah, screw you, Jonas. No, the very stuff, satisfying. The side stuff that villains and villainous people do in King novels always run the gamut from <laughs> just, sometimes they, like, you know, they'll spit in a cup of water before they give it to someone, which is disgusting, but on the grand scale, kind of like, all right, you know, that's petty. <laughs> To like, oh, and then one time he, uh, you know, he likes to shut small animals into a refrigerator. Oh, <laughs> God. Like, oh, what? Mm, what? I'm Patrick sorry. Patrick Hawk Center. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So it's just like, oh, okay. There's there's just quite a, a long list of things that you could accomplish in a King novel if you're not a great person. Yeah. Like, look at this. Yeah. And After... Jonas, Jonas is a great example of that. Yeah. There, and just the whole little town, the, the, the banality of evil in this town, mm-hmm. it's just a constant theme like we get in Needful Things. And yes. uh, there's a lot of it in Salem's Lot. There's this weird aside in the second part of this book where um, there's a couple kids who take firecrackers and put it in a piece of meat and feed it to a dog just to watch the dog's you know jaw blow off. And it, it seemed out of place at first. And then I realized, no, like King's just saying like all these people in this town are rotten. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it it's goes like, along with what you're saying. It's like, you know, Patrick was like Pat Delgado was fine. And then they, mm-hmm. so they killed him. Uh, Susan's fine. I guess te- like Olive Thorin is all right. And Shimi. Mm-hmm. It's like, there yeah. we go. <laughs> Those are the only decent people in. The only and three. The, the maid, uh. <laughs> The little maid Maria, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that makes the uh, this town of mages perfect for the wizard's glass, right? Because it itself mm-hmm. is malevolent. It only shows the worst aspects of the things that it could show you. It doesn't show you the people having a pleasant mm. breakfast together or somebody doing a good deed for another person. It just shows you the mm-hmm. the kids with the firecrackers or the the person who you know trips somebody in the street. And um, so it just it's it is like that needful mm-hmm. things type of thing where evil evil draws evil and then yeah evil like mm-hmm. dairy it's like a mm-hmm. mid world dairy not maybe oh. not as as bad as yeah. dairy but yeah <laughs> you can't talk about mid world dairy yet we haven't even gotten to that kind of concept yet <laughs> I know uh. <laughs> I d- I will say like as a non dark tower aside like the scene in eleven twenty two sixty three when uh, Jake goes or what his name is jake in that book right it's been a while goes to Derry and like you know is like oh this town what is with this town <laughs> it's like it feels like it's like yes <laughs> there is That's, something wrong with some places you know outsiders always have that you know that yeah. concept but he's really good i feel like king is really good at making you know ordinary mundane things feel very threatening in a mm-hmm. way like small seaside towns <laughs> you know little you know just 
the most something you would consider to be the most innocuous and and you know really there's like you know you turn the lights on and the cockroaches scutter yeah and just these ideas that you know for for a town that's so caught up in in you know, these are these rules and this and mm-hmm. that and this is how things are done and this is how people behave and yet you know they send Susan to this old witch to make sure she's a virgin and <laughs> things like that, where it's like, well, what part would that have in any kind of, you know, quote unquote niceties? Yeah. Like that's horrible. <laughs> uh, you know, the whole situation that they're trying to put Susan into is pretty horrible, but yeah, it made perfect sense. <laughs> <laughs> it all worked out Ooh. fine. Yeah. Like, mm. That's definitely if they were able to like, if a, copy of that book found its way into mages they'd be like say <laughs> yeah yeah you except could they don't that. have enough women for that did uh, you find it interesting that it is susan who is the first person of this new quartet who kills a person like she oh yeah when she's mm-hmm. getting them out of out of jail yeah because i don't think that that Roland or Elaine or Cuthbert have actually killed anyone yet. They're, Mm-mm. you know, Roland's obviously a gunslinger and those two are well on their way. And after the battle at Eyebolt Canyon, they would be considered gunslingers. But it's Susan who's the one who is able to kill first with a gun. Mm-hmm. And um, it it's sort of, uh, it's another part of her loss of innocence. Yeah. Uh, along with, you know, losing her virginity to Roland. But then she's killing not only men who deserve it, but then, you know, the the man who she grew up with and, is really just a boy and, and yeah. she kills him too. Yeah. I do think it's interesting. I do think that it's, you know, thematically sort of Susan sort of is the bravest of all mm-hmm. of them because she's the one I feel like is taking the most risk out of everyone. Absolutely. Every, yeah. in every situation, like she, you know, she I, I'm not saying she's quite she's not quite a spy but she definitely like knows more and she she's the one that stands to lose absolutely the most mm-hmm. out of everybody and she does is the it thing does, yeah. and, you know but she faces it she you know she she doesn't give she doesn't break and she totally faces everything that comes her way mm-hmm. and to me like Susan is the hero of this book mm-hmm. yeah. I would agree yeah absolutely and king doesn't walk away from the horrors of gunplay here either Mm -hmm. which is not something you get in a typical western which is probably what jake was expecting when he's hearing the story you know Mm -hmm. Uh, oh and then a little bit of blood red spread across his shirt it's like no his head was blown off and jaws were busted like king shows the destructive nature of these weapons and how Mm. how bad it, it can get and how hard it is to take a man's life um which, you know, that typical for King, I think. But uh, we joked in our podcast that this is less of a John Wayne Western and more of a later Clint Eastwood Unforgiven type thing where mm-hmm. there's, real, there's mm-hmm. no real heroes here. Yeah. I, I was going to say, is it a Tarantino? <laughs> Tarantino <laughs> might be closer, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah, it's, it's rough i mean and that i think is one of the things that i do enjoy about it is that they don't everything is a little everything's a little dirty everything's a little dingy you know when things are gross they're gross you know there's Mm -hmm. not a lot of i think a lot of like again westerns will have the sort of well it's you know it's this little town but everything is still kind of hollywood dirty and 
you know, it's still sort of pleasant on top, you know, very like little house in the prairie, like mm. in this log cabin, but there are no spiders or anything like that. And well, this is well. like, no. <laughs> yeah, there's well, also I mean, no, no native people. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, hmm. uh, and I mean, Little House on the Prairie, had, the TV show at least, had its own its own sorts of horrors. They sure. just weren't necessarily like legitimate to what life would have been like at the time. <laughs> yeah. This is more, what can we make Michael Landon do this week? <laughs> uh, yeah, so that, those, like the world building, all that stuff is so excellent. I just, mm-hmm. yeah. So would you say, Megan, then that you mm. you would like this book better if it was not part of this series? I think if it was, as we like, as it has come up a couple of times, if it was like Wind Through the Keyhole, like mm-hmm. a sort of side, like a novella, I would totally read. Like you know, I'd be like, yes, like please, more of this in this world. You know, mm-hmm. I I'm fine with following a story in that capacity. I mean, I like, I've read a lot, like a lot of The Witcher is like that. Um, yeah. If you read those, those are all a lot of short stories and novellas that are like clumped together. And it's like, all right, that's fine. You know, like I, I enjoy world building. I love being in a world. I love hearing more about it. But when there is such an overarching, like, here is this big quest. Mm-hmm. Let's get a move on to the quest. That's sort of how mm-hmm. I am like this season. I'm just going to p- promote myself for a second. I'm recapping The Mandalorian for the spool. And I'm kind <laughs> of like that at occasion. I'm like, okay, and now what? Um, <laughs> Are we sitting around a fire talking about your teenage love? Because I've had it. No, that's just the fan fiction. But we're moving on from that right now. Like, ask me about that on Twitter, guys. If anyone wants... It's hard to cut your own hair off if if you're wearing a... uh, That's true. true. Um, What about... the When when we get to the end, so after Roland tells a story, they Mm -hmm. they end up in the the glass castle. Yeah. And... Mm -hmm they go back into the glass and we see what happened with Roland and his mother. And that is horrible. (laughs) Horrifying. It's horrible. And it's, I think it's another one of, I I think that that does also explain a lot about Roland and a lot about his feelings, but it, it came off as odd to me because we're told this 400 page story about how, how horrible Roland feels for, letting his first love die. Mm -hmm. But he seems almost to feel worse about what has happened to his mother. And he almost wants to hide that. Like he has no problems in telling the story of like, this is a hard story and you're not going to like how it ends. But Susan dies. Yeah. But he, he's embarrassed to tell the story of what Mm -hmm. he did to his mother. Like that's his secret shame that he wants to hide even more from this new quartet. Yeah. Um, Even though the way it's told, we're not, meant to think like he actually killed his mother on purpose, that it is a, a, a accident because of the glamour that Rhea the Coos puts on him. But um, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, for me, I, I feel like there's two parts to that. Uh, the first part being that, you know, it was his hand mm-hmm. that, that killed his mother. Like he, with Susan, you know, it, the way she died was very horrible. Like, and to anyone listening, like if you haven't read the books, you should read them before I, before you hear this part. But you know, Susan is basically sacrificed. Mm -hmm. She's burned alive by the people of her town who are under this sort of glamor as it were. Um, You know, they, they had this sort of 
bloodlust at the end and she is basically a sacrificial lamb for Roland the first you know spot of blood on his way to the dark tower so I feel like his direct involvement in his mother's death is maybe hits harder than you know Susan who was more of a victim of the circumstance Mm -hmm. but also the fact that he obviously has some heavy PTSD from what happened to Susan, like he talks about, you know, when they're making their voyage back to to Gilead after the events of this book and how like, you know, he was just completely turned in on himself mm-hmm. and couldn't communicate, couldn't talk, couldn't get out of, you know, get <laughs> it was all he could do just to get up every day. And, you know, I feel like he's dealing with all of that trauma at a very young age. And then to have something like this happen, he's still a teenage boy. And that kind of thing is like, it, it's so irrevocable. It's so, it just, it changed him forever. Yeah. It, It was a total loss of innocence. Like he was never the most innocent because being a gunslinger, and all of that training, but like that moment, it it was, you know, really like the birth of Roland. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and that, and because I think that there is such, there is huge stigma in killing a parent, mm-hmm. and that he not only killed a parent but killed his mother and you know, as an accident, it just all kind of compounds on top of everything else. And, you know, and I think he also gets more regret out of that because looking back upon everything that's happened, I think he does see more of the fact that his mother was a victim Mm -hmm. uh, and that he put a lot of hate and blame onto her that wasn't warranted. And before he could really do anything with that, he killed her. Yeah, he never got to make amends. Mm. Although she was about to kill his father. Uh, but she had a lot going on. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it, it, uh, I don't know if either of you are a fan of the Sandman comics by Neil mm-hmm. Gaiman. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The the fact that Dave McKean did the illustrations for this book in, mm-hmm. the, in the original and the fact that the three main women characters are... Uh, could could be seen as a, a crone, a mother, and a daughter with mm-hmm. with with Susan and Gabriella and Rhea the Coos. It just brought together like, and all of this is based on fate, right? Like this is all destiny and fate and Ka. Like it just g- gave me very strong Sandman feelings as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I can totally see that. Oh yeah, I mean, and and just, I mean, I think that the issue with. Gabrielle is just always that there is more to her story that we're not getting here and that I mean we I think everyone who listens to this show knows that Bo and I have a soft spot for (laughs) moms who are have a lot put on them (laughs) oh yes (laughs) so (laughs) there is an element of that to me and also uh, this has nothing to do with that necessarily but like in the the Amazon show that did not work out she was mm. going to be played by elaine cassidy whom i love and so it's just like mm-hmm. justice for elaine cassidy equals <laughs> justice for uh gabrielle uh like, how whoa. disappointing that that show got scrapped 
there would have been so the I mean I don't know if the internet could have handled quote unquote fan reactions to that from what Mm -hmm. I have read I mean you know characters being actors of color uh Jamie's a woman (laughs) I'm down with all I I mean I uh, yeah definitely but I think that oh my god can you imagine (laughs) yeah I mean there would have been a lot of uh... I mean I write I write about Star Wars. I can we just I, I oh see gosh. it all. Yeah. Just for a second, I'm gonna say this: Michael Rooker oh, was supposed to play Elder Jonas in that series. Oh. I mean, how good? How that would have been awesome. Good would that have been? So good. That would have been so good. That would have been great. Just mwah. so good. <laughs> yeah, it's sad that these things are all. You know, we get these little things thrown at us it's like how now the like you know the dude movie is next year mm-hmm. things like that but we must endeavor to keep going somehow <laughs> yeah so I, I think we've covered most of the book but there's one piece that we haven't mm-hmm. covered and i don't know how much you guys get into this but mm-hmm. uh jay knows because i bore his ear off about it but the only mm-hmm. thing i like more than stephen king's books is when stephen king writes about his own writing um <laughs> I, I i've always been a big fan of like you know preludes and afterwards and like the little pieces about his short stories and how he wrote it Mm -hmm. and he does have this nice little afterward at the end of this book where he talks about like why he came back to it and where he's going and he hints at like hey i know what's going to happen and there's two things that i wanted to point out and this is sort of a deep cut but before we came up with the name of our podcast and we were brainstorming one of the ones i (laughs) wanted to call it was uh stephen king's jupiter because it's in this it's in this afterward where he says the dark tower is my jupiter and i thought that would be a cool name for a podcast but maybe a little bit too uh (laughs) pretentious or or too too in the woods so maybe a little too esoteric (laughs) yeah a little bit but then the second one was that he says and i couldn't believe it when i read this that he says in the afterward i might live to complete these stories and then he says knock wood (laughs) <laughs> and then you know, a year later, he gets hit by a van. And Jay said, when I pointed that out, I'm like, oh, my God, it's almost like he cursed himself. And then Jay told me, no, he, he said knock wood. So maybe that's what saved him. Oh, that's true. good point. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. So you always got to gotta knock that wood. Like, you got to do it. Every I'm time. I, superstitious, so. I am superstitious. I, I will knock wood. I will throw the salt over the shoulder, all the stuff. Yeah. This is probably another reason that we would be terrible in a quartet because we'd be oh constantly my doing that stuff. And, we'd, you know, Roland would be like, stop. He'd be doing the little move on thing. Like, He'd guys, be like, no. are you texting again? No, I'm looking at TikTok. God. <laughs> <laughs> like, we have we have some signal. I'm just trying to just take some pictures. That's all. This is fun. It's what we do now. My feet hurt. That would be oh me. Oh my god, that no, I'd be hungry and my feet would hurt and I wear glasses Cranky, yeah. and no gunslinger burrito would do it for you. Oh no. I mean, I would, would definitely be- try one. It sounds intriguing. It sounds like a a delicious beef jerky spring roll, but That's true. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. that would be. That sounds good. How about What about this? Um I was kicking myself for a long time uh, when I at how long it took me to make this connection. The fact that Blaine and the wizard's glass are the same shade of pink. Yes. Do you think that means anything? I I think that, that was just a clever little up. Oh, up. Oh, you think you were <laughs> done with that, huh? Nope. 
<laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, it could be like Blaine could be maybe an inspiration. Maybe the person that made Blaine had, you know, gotten a peek in that glass or something. I, I, don't, I don't know, but I think it's a good it. That's a clever thing to point out that actually yeah. I know that I had made that connection in the past, but completely forgot it. So thank you for reminding me. Yeah, because I think it's something that you notice because initially it is odd to think of a pink train just because mm -hmm. I think, you know, trains are very monochromatic. Like, yeah. You know, here's a train. They're silver, uh, but, they're white, whatever. Yeah. So, and I think, you know, it's a little like, oh, but he's the quote unquote boy train. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that it, it does connect because then also I like how the fact that the the grapefruit is pink makes it so impossible to hide at any point mm -hmm. like i think that a lot of i feel like some i feel like other authors and other stories it would have been either just your your general like kind of you know quartz crystal ball or mm -hmm. it would have been black or something spooky and, and yeah. just the fact that it's this bright pink glow you know susan sees it right away everyone is just like wait what is that you yeah. know, it's impossible. It's it's luring you in. You know, it makes you want it. And part of that is that it's this like pink mystic. Like, well, what is what's over there? Like, I see Plus, something there. You're taking the softest, most innocent color, and putting this malevolent spin on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's clever. Yeah. It's you don't clever. Think of an evil pink ball. No. Yeah. And the nit that that I had to pick with Stephen King on this was that. All of the characters refer to this thing as a grapefruit, but the outside of a grapefruit is yellow. Yeah. So yeah. I don't think of, <laughs> I don't associate pink and grapefruit unless you're talking about the flesh of a grapefruit and not even all grapefruit have pink flesh. So that's true. It's just, it's a weird association, but everyone well, does it and it just, it feels okay. Like it feels right to say it's the grapefruit, but. Maybe in in-world grapefruits are pink. Ah, in in world there. grapefruits probably have eyes. Like, let's, <laughs> let's be yeah. real. And an extra arm. Yeah. yeah, there's just an arm sticking out of it. You're like, well, that's a good one. It's only got one arm. <laughs> Can't beat you up. <laughs> like like Rhea's stuffy guys. Can I just yeah. say the stuffy guy is just a great. I, I wish we had that word instead of scarecrow. Yeah, instead of scarecrow. Yeah. Awesome. Stuffy it's guy great. is so good because it that is what it is. You just stuff them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I do like all of the lingering, the mutant weirdness. I like mm -hmm. that it's not just, oh, this is, you, you see a horrible thing and it's like, oh my God, what is that? It's just, oh, this cat's got extra legs. Oh, I, I do want to ask, I want to ask everybody because this About is something. cats with extra legs? No. This no, is thank something, you. something that kind of came up and I don't remember where I read it, but in this in the part where Susan is being like kind of carted through town and the first person to throw, you know, their, their corn husks or whatever into the, the wagon she's being transported in is described as like this shaggy red haired young man. And apparently that's supposed to be Brown from the first book. The, the, the hut dweller that yeah. Roland meets in the hmm. desert. Yeah. No. Yeah, actually, that doesn't make any sense. I, it doesn't, yeah, but you know, I'm getting on Twitter, dear Stephen King. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I I don't know if I like that. 
Well, yeah. I mean, it, it could be him, I suppose. I'd never made that connection, but we see, uh, um, we meet Sheb in Magus, and we also mm-hmm. hear about how uh, uh, Sylvia Pitson. Si- yeah, Sylvia yeah. Pitson has passed through town. Yeah, she's been and, up in there. And then, so if Brown was a, a young man in, in Magus or passed through Magus or something like that, I think the, the years add up or the timeline adds up. Yeah, that just makes Magus seem more like Tatooine or something where like everybody has to come at some point or another. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there there comes a point where you're just like, oh, again with this. And I that's a little bit of that to me. That's a little bit of the, oh, okay. Yeah, you so know, I'm everyone... looking at... I'm looking at the wiki now, and I think they confirm that that is who that is. Oh, no. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I don't like that at all. Yeah, he also appears in Wizard and Glass as a farmer in Hambry and helps with the death of Susan Delgado. But why? I like that. (laughs) Helps with the death. Yeah. Yeah. It it almost makes it sound like he rescued her. Yeah, no. <laughs> oh, helped. poor Susan. And I will say this is one um aspect that the the graphic novels are beautiful. Yes. The art in them is amazing. Like I have nothing but praise for the graphic novels and the whole thing with Susan and her death is illustrated so well. I will say well mm-hmm. slash horribly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, it's beautiful. Like, yeah. and that's not the sort of thing that should be beautiful, but I'm no. glad that it is. Mm-hmm. If it has to be depicted, yeah. So, yeah, no, those the graphic novels are amazing uh, because it again, gives I it, think you know Susan more dignity. I feel like in death. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it is one of the times that I am not fine with the fact that you know, oh, we had to give a man a tragic backstory by killing a woman mm-hmm. but there was i mean the point is at the end of it there's there's not anything else that fits because you're mm-hmm. not going to have a they're not going to have a circumstance where they get married and live happily ever after until you know he no. has to go on his quest or something like that's not the kind of story this is and because I mean, these sorts of things you know happen he um, even tells cuthbert like that part of my life is over now. Like, so mm-hmm. I'll take Susan to Gilead, but we're not, we're not going to be together. Like, I I have a new like, <laughs> like I found my purpose, and it's not Susan Delgado. Yeah, which is, you know, I mean, I'm glad that he's just upfront about it, but also Burr cold. Yeah, like oh ding guy, all right, fine. <laughs> Not to mention, I mean, I think that, you know, the, the graphic novels do, I don't, I'm not sure how they mesh together canon-wise, but that would get a little mm-hmm. awkward considering that he kind of has a fiancé, uh, <laughs> but <laughs> that was more an arranged thing than anything else, but I think it still yeah. might have gotten a little awkward, a little uncomfortable yeah. for everyone. So anyway, yeah. does yeah, anyone else have any, like, final thoughts on, on Wizard and Glass? We're, we've gone no. kind of kind of long here so no it was good i th- thanks for having us on again uh we appreciate it and love talking about dark tower stuff it was oh nice my God, to revisit we love this because we covered it like three years ago so it was the first time you know spending some time with this book again so mm-hmm. thanks yeah mm-hmm. well would you guys like to plug your show and talk about what you're discussing yeah. now sure um you can check out our podcast two guys to the dark tower came at 
to guys to the dark tower you can support our show at patreon.com slash two guys dark tower and if you want to hear the full coverage that we have for wizard and glass as sean mentioned earlier we've got nine episodes episodes 20 through 28 and um, we go into a great amount of detail talking all about this great book in the dark tower series and believe it or not, awesome. uh, we we are covering the stand right now. Uh, we we had it planned for a while, and everything else was going right in two, in twenty twenty. So why not cover the stand? Yeah, uh, we're actually we've got we've got the book finished. We're, we're all recorded. I think there's like three more episodes that are going to go live over the next few weeks, mm-hmm. and then our plan is to try to uh, talk about the show when it starts up here in yeah. Uh, next next month so we'll be doing uh, short episodes giving us giving our thoughts on that we've never done tv recaps uh, Mm -hmm. so we'll see how that goes yeah i know that megan and i are both very excited and intrigued by this new mini series (laughs) there are some aspects of it that we're grumpy about but for the most (laughs) part we are we're always grumpy about something about something you know we are too negative to enjoy so (laughs) (laughs) Uh, don't dwell on that one review. I know. You guys no, are doing a great job. Thank you. I mean, it's sort of our, our armor at this point. <laughs> <laughs> well, Never as, take it off. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, as always, you can find us over at thespool.net, where Megan and I both write about film and television. We are on Twitter and Instagram at WeirdingPod, and you can send us a letter. We love letters. Yes, please. To at gmail.com. Yes, we are going to be starting Children of Dune soon. That is freaking exciting. <laughs> Children of yes. Dune has a lot I going love on. Children of Dune. It's so good. I'm now, so excited. Now, is this excited. the one where the chair dogs show up or no? <laughs> <You're>, <laughs> no. That, they no don't show up yet. until Chapter House, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I have a reprieve. <laughs> That's what's keeping me going, waiting for those chair dogs. Oh, <laughs> Megan's so going to be so upset. <laughs> well, that, thank you I'm, guys. Oh, go ahead. That, I'm waiting for that kind of thing to show up in Star Wars. I'm waiting for someone to just be like, oh, this is my couch horse or something. And you're just like, okay, great. <laughs> like, ew, this is horrifying. <laughs> I do want to ask our guests before we before we sign off one last question for the panel for everybody <laughs> Megan you can you can chime in too. Okay. Do you all think in your professional opinions is King done with the Dark Tower? No, probably no. not. <laughs> no, there's going to be something. Yeah. Do you think I, I will say I think he it seems like there's a lot of clamoring for the Battle of Jericho mm-hmm. that he yeah. might do something with that. Um, mm-hmm. So if he's going to do something, I'm thinking that might be it. I I, I, I will say, I'll, I'll follow up your question, Bo, with I read somewhere from a fairly credible source that King might have more in store for Stu and Franny from the stand. Oh, interesting. I would uh-huh. read that. Yeah, I would too. I mean, the yeah. stand is such... I, I reread it actually. I reread it last summer, not this past summer, but the summer before. So <laughs> it was very fresh in my mind <laughs> when 2020 mm-hmm. hit. Um, so yeah, I mean, I it's such a good story. It's such a great book. It's so engrossing that 
yeah, I would totally continue on reading about those characters and their lives and how they sort of build a, you know, build a life after mm-hmm. the events of The Stand. I think, um, and I know I've mentioned this book before, but I read, right before I re- reread The Stand, I read Chuck Wendig's Wanderers, yep. which has a very similar premise to The Stand. Um, not entirely the same. It's a little more modern. Um, but still, like, he, he kind of wraps it up in a way that I sort of wish The Stand had been written, wrapped up. Because The Stand kind of ends with, like people sort of deciding to spread out and and go their separate ways and you know start their own lives outside of this little society that they had built you know and wanderers does the opposite right so i kind of i kind of like this whole like community that they had built in Bo- in the boulder free zone and i wanted yeah. to to have more of that so i i yeah, definitely I- would be interested in anything and i love Stu. oh my god Stu is one of the best characters he's written yes <laughs> i just yeah i've never understood that ending like that part of it has always bugged me yeah like and it's like you're gonna do what you want to go back to maine <laughs> what's <laughs> wrong with baby you all alone <laughs> oh no thank you <laughs> like all right guys like enjoy I guess if, yeah have fun with that yeah get pretty lonely yeah i'm gonna stay here where there's electricity thank you <laughs> and other people to talk to That's exactly what society is. exactly i can't imagine spending you know, being so isolated, and it's so funny uh-huh. because we're all isolated You're now. About to say you can't imagine why, but like <laughs> we have means of communicating with the outside yes. world. We have this is true. Yeah. We have Facebook. We have podcasts. Like we have mm-hmm. television. You know, and in the world of the stand, there's none of that. So it's yeah. like I can't imagine. <laughs> but to, oh, to go back well, to your original question about the Dark Tower, I suspect that if King mm-hmm. does anything, it's probably going to be either things that are just connected it's a separate story but Mm. maybe has a common character or something like that or it's going to be a Mm -hmm. short story here or there like another the keyhole but on a smaller scale Um, or or the little sisters of Alluria. i think those would be great to Mm -hmm. just have those like every once in a while just drop another one of those nuggets for us Mm -hmm. yeah yeah which i think i would find preferable Mm -hmm. honestly um because his short stories, I mean, it's, you know, people have made much hay of it, but they're always, always so good. And they they really I, are I, very I, good. Just those little droplets of, of story, mm-hmm. I think, would be preferable to me than like, oh, surprise, here's another, here's another book. Yeah. I mean, I, I think he's doing different things now. I mean, not that they're not similar, but I mean, mm-hmm. I've enjoyed a lot of his more recent ones. And mm-hmm. I just, I don't know none of them have had a moment where there would have been a good place to reference any of this necessarily. And I think that Dr. Sleep did a really good job. Dr. That, Sleep I think. did. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, to, I read that so long ago though. Like point. in all fairness, I have not read the book. I've only seen the movie, oh. but they do a really nice job sort of wedging some dark tower stuff into Dr. Sleep. Um, a movie that I was surprised by how much I enjoyed. I was like, Oh, this Still is actually pretty it. good. <laughs> yeah. It I was just, pretty good. I just dressed like that. 
Yeah. I haven't actually seen the movie. I just was like, hey, wait a minute. I dress like that. Well, it is uh, on HBO Max if you want to check I, that I know. out. Yeah. So I think this is a good place to, to yes. put a pin in it. We are running pretty long here. So and I wouldn't get any money from HBO Max. So don't no, none at them. all. They really should. <laughs> they really should sponsor us. Um, Jay and Sean, thank you so much for yes, coming back on the you. show to talk about this with us. Because it really was just too much for two people to talk about. No, we appreciate it. Thanks, Bo. Thanks, here. Megan. Thank you. Thank you. And everyone, uh, be safe. You know, isolate if you can, wear your mask, and stay on the path of the beam. <laughs> Goodbye, everyone! Thank you.